Any any questions before we start? Okay, so uh, today we're going to get as far as we can before I get to the point where I don't have my notes. <laughs> and uh, you'll be surprised how far we can go. Uh, we're going to talk now about the problem of collinearity and what that is and, and what the effects are. Last time we talked about um, what happens if you leave models out of the model. Um, the idea here is that in reality there are certain variables which we'll call active variables. Active variables are those that actually have an association with the response. Um, and then there are some inactive variables that, that you know, we, we're measuring. The problem is we don't know which is which. And we saw last time that if you, if you leave some of the, um, the estimates out, that, that, that some of the active terms out, then you get some bias in your model. And we showed what the, what the size of that bias was. Um, your homework this week is basically a simulation to show you kind of what that bias is. Um, unfortunately, the biases are very, very small still, but I mean, you'll see the differences as you go from the full model to the, the not so full model, how, how the estimates vary. Um, the final thing that we learned was that the variance of the estimate, and just giving this as a result because we're going to be using, making some use of this later, uh, is, is the variance of the population times this matrix X prime X inverse. So X, prime, X is the design matrix it's called. The first column is all ones and such. Each column of the other columns is the observations of each of the predictor variables. And, and um, this is the amount of variation there is about the, the regression line, what the, the variation in the errors terms. And, and so um, essentially then, then your, your estimates depend upon how much natural variation there is in the population plus depends somewhat on, on, on the observed values you saw of, of your x's. Okay. Are there any questions about anything we talked about last time? Okay. So what is collinearity? So things to pay attention to. What we're going to try to do today is do a simulation and, and this is always a little uh, risky because sometimes they don't go as planned, but I want to kind of tell you what to look out for. Um, this is why we care about collinearity. So um, the main problem is when, when, when variables are collinear, it becomes more difficult to determine um, which are the correct variables to include in the model. And the basic idea is, let's say, you know, uh, mother's age in reality is an important predictor of the weight of the baby. But mother's age is highly correlated with father's age. So how can we tell the two of them apart if they're really strongly correlated? If father's age is in reality inactive and useless, if we include in the model it's going to interact with, with the mother's age and some, depending on exactly which values we see, it might seem that father's age is important, not because it is, but because it's associated with the mother's age. So that's, that, that's the primary difficulty that you're going to see. More practically, one of the things that happens is the variance of our estimates becomes too big, becomes inflated. So you saw that formula before about what that variance is, is and we'll, we'll see later about what, what exactly that means, probably tomorrow or Wednesday, um, about what it means, you know, about how much these variances are inflated, but you'll see some of the evidence of that today. What this inflation does is it essentially makes the p-values bigger. So one thing we're going to see is when we have collinearity, uh, the p-values are bigger than they would be if we didn't have collinearity and that makes it harder to detect differences and, and detect which associations are, are real and which aren't. Um, so that, that, and that, that amount of the inflation of all this depends upon just how strongly these predictors are correlated with each other and with other predictors in the model. 
So, so what is collinearity? The book talks about two kinds, exact and approximate. Um, exact collinearity means that the two are a linear combination of each other. So this is kind of what that means. I, I made up a new variable z, but so x is a random variable, z is a random variable, a, b, and little c are constants. So if you can write the two variables in, in terms of a linear relationship like that, it's true for all values of x and z, then we would say that those are, are, are exactly collinear. And what that essentially means is if, if, this, if you know A, B, and C, then if I tell you X, you can always find Z. So one completely determines the other. So, you know, the famous example, I guess, or a simple example, is you might measure, measure height in inches, call that X, and then you'll measure height later in, in centimeters and call it, give it a new variable name. And what you'll see then, you know, so, so x is equal to 2.54z. So it's perfect. You know, once you know z, you exactly know what x is. And you get something, you know, if you were to plot the two of them, you'd get something that looked like that. That'd be perfect straight lines. Those would be perfectly collinear. So you saw this probably in the API data set. Do you have any? Do you remember? Was there in the API? No, we saw this in the, remember when we did the data set with the, uh, the, the densities, trying to es estimate what body fat was, and there was a uh, weight measured in several different equivalent forms, and, and several of the variables were equivalent to each other. They were exactly collinear. They were just translated. You see this often in, in consulting when someone gives you a data set, and they'll often have used their Excel spreadsheet to change units or to add something to the variable or something, but they don't tell you that it's a different variable. So, you know, you, you think they're two separate variables when you look at your data set, and it's not until you make a plot that you see that they really are the same variable. They're just, uh, um, one is just a, a linear uh, relation of the other. More common is what we'll call approximate collinearity, and that's just when, I, that's when that relationship holds approximately. But another way of saying it, it holds when, when the two variables are very strongly correlated. Uh, or, you know, and correlated in the, even in the loose sense, meaning that it may not be a perfect straight line correlation, but this relationship is approximately true. And, you know, one example we saw that recently is that, that the father's age and the mother's age in this North Carolina birth weight data set were, were approximately collinear. And, in fact, if you, if you wanted to find the regression, you could see that the father's age was approximately equal to 7.3 times 0.8 times the mother's age. So. So, uh, you know, you can kind of figure out, I guess, A is 0.8 and B is a minus 1 and C is a 7.3 there in, in that relationship. Or, no, so this would be a minus 0.8 when you do the algebra and shift it around. But you can see then that there's a, a, a linear relationship between those. And, and if we plotted it, it looked like that. And, and um, as we're going to see, what really matters isn't quite what value those... A, B, and C are, but what matters is how strongly the two of them are correlated. So, um, you know, the, the closer this is to a, a, a line, the, the bigger the difficulty that we're going to have. So, what we're going to do is do a simulation, and if you read in the book, we're basically just going to repeat the simulation that he did in the book in Chapter 10. Um, I strongly suspect he cheated. I think that he chose to show the two examples that most strongly illustrated the point he was trying to make. And what we'll see when we do the simulation is the problem's not quite as dire as it seems if you read that section of the book, but the problem is still a real one nonetheless. So what we want to do, here's our game plan, is, is 
is to create a model that has two active and two inactive terms. So what we're, we're trying to see is, is if we have collinearity, how do, we, how do we distinguish the active terms from the inactive terms? So we're going to create a, a, the God's eye view, you know, the real, the real world that we'll get to know because we're going to simulate it. And in the real world, our response variable is going to be related to two variables, but not the other two. But then we're going to pretend that we're statisticians and someone gave us all four variables and said, you know, what's the best model? And we want to see how good a job can we do finding the best model. So we're going to do this in two situations. First, when there's no collinearity, and then when there is some collinearity. And um, you'll see the difference between the two and what, what changes. Um, so this is a basic game plan when we're doing the no collinearity. We have four variables. Um, each of them is going to be normally distributed, uh, centered at zero. It says sigma there. Sigma is going to be one, so they'll have a standard deviation of one. So we're just keeping it really simple. And so, uh, and these are, are going to be our four predictor variables that we're going to pretend we sampled from the world and you know we we did our study. They're going to be set up so that they're uncorrelated with each other, so that means they won't be uh, collinear. And the relationship that we're going to simulate is where our response variable is going to be one plus the first predictor plus the second predictor and not the next two. So you don't actually have to type in zero times x3 plus zero times x4, but, but you know, that's understood. So let's think for a moment about what we expect to see. So given this model, what values should we get for our parameters? What value should we get for beta naught, beta 1, and beta 2? Right. So these should all be about one, and now we're going to fit because we're going to pretend that we don't know that this is a zero. So, but we should be hoping to see that beta three and beta four are, are are very small, hopefully close to zero. So, what p values do we expect or hope to see for these different parameters? Yeah, we'd like these to be less than 0.05. And what about those? We're hoping those will be bigger. Okay, and uh, the variance of the parameters is kind of hard to figure out in your head, but so that's just summarizing. We're hoping that the parameters for x1 and x2 are close to 1, parameters in x3 and x4 about 0. The p-values for the first two should be less than 0.05 and for the next two should be bigger. But I want you to keep in mind that about 5% of the time we will get lar uh, small p-values um, for x3 and x4 because mm -hmm. The, the p-value is, in fact, going to be uniformly distributed, and so 5% of the time it does turn out to be less than 0.05. So we're, we, we've set things up already that 5% of the time we're going to conclude that x3 and x or x4 is useful, even though it's not, but um, you'll see that the problem we're talking about makes, makes that even worse. Um, yeah. So this is just kind of pointing out, because we're going to talk about this in a little bit, that... Uh, the variance of our parameters, or of our estimates of the parameters, I should say, this is, you know, the, the formula as a whole, we're forcing sigma squared to be 1, so it's really x prime x to the negative 1, and in a little bit we'll see what that looks like in a in, in two-variable problem. Um, we're, we've made the means of the x's zeros, so a, a lot of this simplifies quite a bit and, and uh, should look kind of nice. Let's see if, um, maybe we should talk about that now, yeah, that's what that means. Okay, so here's the part where I'm going to be improvising because I can't find my notes. Um, what we want to understand 
is what the variance of this thing is going to look like. And we've already said that, that the formula is something like, like this. But let's just do it for a very simple two predictor problem that looks something like this. Beta naught plus beta one, x one plus beta two, x two. So we've just got two predictors. Let's just go and see what this matrix is going to look like for this case. Okay, so x, our design matrix, is going to be a column of ones, and then x1 is uh, the first observation, the second observation of x1, all the way down to the nth observation, and then the next column is going to be um, the same observation for x2. And so that means this is kind of the nuisance on the chalkboard. Uh, x prime is the transpose of that, so let's write down what x prime x looks like. So if we take the transpose of that matrix, we get the first row is all ones. The next row is the x one. Um, the x one variable and the third row is the x2 variable. Now we're going to multiply that by x. So let's just see what this comes out to be. So first we take this row times that column, what's that going to be equal to? N, right. The first entry is N. So then we take this times the second thing and what do we get? First row times second column. So we get the sum of the X's. So it's all, uh, all of these are being multiplied by the, by the X1 variable, so we'll just call this the sum of X1. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I'm just sure. And then we take this row times times this one, and we get the sum of the x2s. Then we do this next thing. So this times that is going to be the sum of the x's, x1s again. And it has to be because this is going to turn out to be a symmetric matrix. So I, I said last time that x prime x is symmetric. Um, and didn't prove it, and I'm still not really proving it, but you know, you'll see this time that it turns out to be symmetric. Um, in, the, in, in, in this generic case, and it's pretty easy to see that it doesn't matter how many rows you put in here, it will still be symmetric. So this next thing, we're going to take the row of x1s, multiply them by the column of x1s, so we get the sum of all the x1 variables squared. Then the last one is the cross product. We're taking the x1s and multiplying them by the x2s. So it's the sum of x1 times the x2s. Okay. This times that gives us the sum of x2. This times the middle one gives us the cross product. And then the last one gives us x2 squared. So x prime x is this nice symmetric matrix. The diagonal of n times, you know, times these things, and then the off-diagonals are just, just the sums and the, and the cross-products. Um, it's easier to see what happens if we factor out that n. So we could write this as n times 1 
just going to, to save myself writing matrices over and over again. Um, if we factor out an n from this, we can write this as n times 1 over n um, times the sum of x's. Right? So factor out the n, we're left with x bar. So this first term is x1 bar. And the second term is x2 bar. So this is x1 bar. This is x2 bar. This one is the sum of x1 squared over n. This is the sum of x, the cross product x2 over n. This is the same thing. And this is x2 squared over n. Okay, now we're just going to kind of work through some rough approximations here. Um, we've simulated, we're about to simulate these data ourselves. And we're going to draw each of these variables out from a standard normal distribution. So the mean is zero and the variance is one. So what number do we expect this to be? It's going to be about zero, right? It's not going to be exactly zero. It's not going to be the same number every time, but it should be close to zero. And the same thing for x2. So we've got here n times one, zero, zero. 0, 0, because x bar is approximating, is estimating the mean. How about these terms? What should they be close to? They should be close to 1. So they're close to the variance. Remember, our estimate of the variance is the sum of the x's minus x bar squared over n. This is the, the biased estimate, but it's close enough for, for what we're doing here. We've just said that x bar is approximately 0. So this is going to be approximately just the sum of the x squares over n. So this should be about sigma squared x, which we're going to force to be equal to 1. So this should be close to 1, and that should be close to 1. The other thing that's kind of nice about this is to remind you of the co covariance. So the covariance between any two variables is the expected value of of the first minus the mean times the second minus its mean. We force these means to be zero, so the covariance is going to be the expected value of x1 times x2. And we estimate that by the sum of x1s times the sum of x2s over n. Working myself into a corner here. What should the covariances be? should be zero. Covariance, remember, is related to correlation. We're generating these data so that they're independent and normal. So we're forcing the correlations to be zero. It's not going to be exactly zero because that never happens, but it's going to be, should be something close to zero. So this, this matrix should work out to be something like that. So, so that's x prime x. So x prime x inverse then should be equal to 1 over n. If you invert that matrix, you get the same thing. So, so the variances of the parameters should be about 1 over n times, times that matrix. In the book, he just throws all of that off in one sentence and says this should be approximately true. So I wanted to kind of work through it just for you to show, show why that is. But it's also something we'll try to pay attention to and, and look at when we look at the data. Okay, so, so any questions? So 
going to go through some R files, uh, R, R commands, and they're all also will be online. And they should be over here. Like that. And you may not be able to see too well, so let me know. Let's see, can this is bigger? kind of the opposite of bigger. Okay, that should work. <laughs> that may be too big. Um, there's one of these libraries you'll find really useful, and that's the library called MASS. It has a lot of multivariate commands that we're going to be making some use of. So the first step... <laughs> okay. That's not going to work. So the first step is you have to load that library and, and, and to have access to some of these commands. Uh, I'm kind of breaking this up in two pieces, but the next step is we need to say what the mean is going to be of, of each of the four parameters. So I've created a vector called mu that's just um, a zero to tell us that each parameter will have a mean of zero. And the next thing we need to do is give it a... Uh, covariance matrix, which is called sigma here. So I did this the hard way, but I just wanted to kind of lay out for you what it is. C binds, C stands for column. What this does is it creates a matrix that binds these column by column. So the first column is this, the second column is that, and the third column, so on. And it just creates them as, as, as columns. So if we type it, it looks like this. It looks like the identity matrix. You can also get that from the command diag. Um, you know, so if you type diag four, you get the same sort of thing. But um, I just kind of wanted to show you this because this command is a little more general, so you can use it more often. Okay. So the next step, and this is uses one of these new commands that's in this math library. Um, the next step is to generate the data. So this is fake data. MV stands for multivariate, so we're taking multivariate random normals. We're going to look at a hundred of them. They're going to have this mean and they're going to have this covariance. So remember how you read these matrices. This is the variance of the first parameter, this is the variance of the second, and so on, and uh, um, I mean of the first variable. And the zeros tell us how they're correlated with each other. So essentially, these, all of these variables will have zero correlation, and if we made a plot of them, um, like we can here, you see that there, there's no correlation between any of these variables. Okay. So the next step now is to create the response. So the response variable, I've got to change this because it's got a mistake in it. Oops, yeah, that's right. All uh, right, thanks. Okay. Oh, it keeps getting worse. Uh, well, I'll show it to you up here. So, it adds, uh, we're adding the constant. We did agreed that the constant was just going to be a 1. And then we're adding um, the first column of our design matrix, <coughs> or of our predictors, plus the second predictor, plus the third, plus the fourth. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm pointing the wrong line. 
Uh, we're adding just the first and the second. And then we're generating the noise. And the noise is going to be uh, you know, random normal with zero mean and, and standard deviation one. Okay, so now we can see what, ah, this is frustrating. Um, let's do pairs, C bind, Y, X. Okay, so, so here we see the same sort of stuff, same thing we saw before. It's that first column we want to pay attention to, and you see that, um, you know, at, at, as we designed it to be, Y has a linear association with the first two, but not so much with, not at all with, with, with the last two. Okay. So what we're expecting now is we should get a positive slope for the first two and zero slope for the rest. So what, what we'll do now is we'll fit the whole thing. So we're going to fit a linear model that predicts um, that Y is a function of all four variables. And we'll look at the summary. Okay, and you can't see it. You know what? I'm going to, uh, well, we'll worry about this in a minute. Okay. So, Hopefully, we'll see what we hope to see. <laughs> um, yeah. So the first parameter, the, the intercept is about one, very small p-value, 1.76 times 10 to the negative 14. Second parameter is about one, I mean the, the first slope is about one, very small p-value. Same with the next one, it's about one, it's a very small p-value. The next two are pretty small and they have <coughs> fairly large p-values. So, so all that kind of worked as, as we hoped it would. I did one new command, or I, I changed the linear model command um, to something that we haven't used yet before, but there's this option called x equals true. And if you set x equals true, then you get to look at the design matrix should you choose to look at it. So let's look at it now. Um, let me just show you what that looks like. So this is the names function. I have a way of, well, let's see. So, <laughs> someday they'll fix this. So here, here are the objects that come in the, in, in the model and it added this one called X. And we don't want to look at the whole thing, but we'll look at some of it. Actually, this type style, we could look at this whole thing. So we refer to it without dollar sign X, and we'll look at the first 10 rows and all of the columns, and it looks like this. Okay. So this is just the design matrix. Um, the first column is all ones, 
Um, the next column is the observations that we generated for X1, and the next are the observations we generated for X2, and so on. What's kind of nice now is we can use this, let's just call it capital X out X. And uh, just does not like this. So, so we can use this now to kind of investigate what, what this looks like. Let's do that there are some matrix manipulation commands that you haven't seen before. What we want to do is we want to multiply x prime times x. So x prime we get by doing t for transpose. I'm just going to have to put it all up here and explain it to you because it's not letting me type very well. Okay. Hmm. Okay, so there it is. Um, let me just kind of explain this to you step by step. There's our, this is our X. I, I don't know, I was hoping I could type it, but in this case I didn't, so I just used the, the output with the dollar sign X, and so this is our design matrix. The T takes transpose. So here's transpose X and here's X. Matrix multiplication uses a different symbol in R. So instead of just star, you put it parentheses on either side. So this is X prime times X. G inverse tells it to take the inverse. So what we're doing is taking the inverse of this whole thing. Uh, for some reason, I multiplied it by, oh, I multiplied it by 100 because remember, the form of this thing should look like, we're expecting to look like, 1 over n times i, so 1 over n is 1 over 100. So if I multiply this by 100, what we're hoping to see for this thing is that it's just equal to the identity matrix. And in fact, it should be a 4 by 4. You can see that on the main column we have 1s. Is this the right thing to look at? And on the... Uh, yeah, so there's a 1 and a 1, and then the next row you can't quite see it yet. And then the off-diagonals should all be fairly small numbers to be fairly close to 0. Okay, so, so any case, so, so that seems to be working just fine. What we want to do now, and let me just go through and, and simulate this a few times so you get some sense of what, what it looks like. So I'm first going to try and fix this whole thing. Um, format, font. Show fonts. everything, make the fonts pretty big, okay, oops, okay, and now, just try to do all these at once, okay, I'm going to have to quit this and come back in. So what we're going to do is, I, I just want to show you a few of these so you get some feel for how much variability is there is in the parameter estimates and the different p-values. And, you know, it's just changed forever. It doesn't work, yeah, it just beeps at me when I choose bigger. Um, what? 18. And, does it change it? Uh, 
it might be. Let's see something here. Does it show? So margin with text pattern graph function function hits console and show all Well, I don't know how to fix this. I'm going to have to take it into our computer guy. Um, well, so let's 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 just do one one instance of the other one, and then we'll have to come back to this later. Um, so the next thing to look at is what happens if instead of doing what we just did, we make it collinear. So here, what we're doing is re we're going to redefine sigma, and we're going to do this in a very particular way. We're going to make x1 and x3 highly correlated. So the correlation between x1 and x3 is going to be 0.97, so very close to 1. So x1 and x3 are going to be essentially the same variable. And we're going to make x2 and x4 negatively correlated, so their correlation is going to be minus 0.97. And if we, yeah? Sorry, um, if uh, you made sigma to that, it wasn't symmetric. I mean, you uh, run that MVR node, would it give you an error? Yeah, oh. yeah. It has to be symmetric and it has to be positive definite, so it's, it's pretty particular. So let's see what happens. Let me just get this started like this. And let's do pairs. See by. Oops, couldn't find. Oh. Okay. Can I have to do this? There's C by uh, Y X. Okay. So so here's what what the generated data look like. So this time we see that Y is related to all four variables, or it looks as if it is. But we know we created Y without ever referring to X3 and X4. It's Y is equal to zero times this and zero times that. But what we get is something that looks as if Y does have an association with them. And you can see that the association looks to be about as strong in both cases. Okay, so if we fit this model now with all four things, it's kind of a toss-up as to which of these four variables is going to be significant and which one isn't. And most of the time it actually works out okay, but let's just see what happens this time. Make this bigger for you. Okay, so this time, okay, so this time things worked out okay. We would have got the right model. So we would have gotten 0 0.012 point, so this one was barely, 
significant. But notice how much, remember last time the p-values were all kind of on the same order as this. They were all tens to the minus something or other. Now they've gone up quite a bit. These are still large and that's good. Um, these are still kind of close to one. This one not quite so close. We forgot to pay attention to what the standard errors were before, but in fact they're much larger now. Let me just scroll up to what we had before. Um, oh, I can't do it because I quit. Okay. So the, the, the standard errors are much larger than before, too. Let's just do it one more time. Oops. Let me do the whole thing one more time. And look and see what we get this time. Change what to 18? Never mind. Oh. So here's, a, here's another go at it. And uh, again, this time we still get the right model. We still get a small, well, actually, we, this time we might, reject, we might reject that X1 was in there and think that it wasn't involved. And it might be that X2 is the only model, the only thing we would fit. But we would get these in there as well. Um, again, the standard errors are all rather large compared to what they were before. So what we'll do next time is we'll step through this a few times. You can see it kind of quickly when I don't have to change the screen. That, that what happens is most of the time these are your significant variables. But what we want them to be is they should be significant almost all the time. Most of the time, if, if they're uncorrelated, we should only get significance here about 5% of the time. But you're going to see it goes up to something around 15, 20% of the time. These turn out to be significant. So it turns out that a, a fair amount of the time with these co this collinearity, we end up getting the wrong values. Uh, the wrong p-values, we get two large standard errors. And often these tend to be inflated too, and they have some bias here. I mean, this time, this get got to be quite a bit lower than it should have had. This is quite a bit bigger than it should be. You know, so, so you're, you're, uh, this is, well, it's not too big. But so in any case, we, we're starting to get some of the wrong, wrong values for all of this. What we're going to see is there's something called the variance inflation factor. Let's this up. Well, let, me let me not get ahead of myself yet. Okay, so no collinearities like this, variance that. Okay, and then we did the we did that. Simulated with collinearity, good. So what we should see, and we'll step through this a few more times next time when I solve the font problem, bigger standard errors, bigger p-values across the board, and more type 1 errors. So more often we're going to be saying that X3 and X4 are active even though they're really not active. So we'll be fitting the wrong model more often. And one thing you're going to see... is that we can say how much that variance is going to change. <coughs> so there's something called the variance inflation factor that's associated with a given parameter j. And r sub j is the multiple correlation coefficient.
between um, x of j and all other predictors. So roughly speaking, it's how a given parameter is correlated with everything else. So if it's highly correlated, r sub j is going to be close to 1. And as this gets close to 1, the denominator gets close to 0, the whole thing gets quite big. So as this gets close to 1, the variance goes up and up and up. If rj is 0, if it's uncorrelated with the others, then this is a 0 and this whole ratio is a 1, and then the variance isn't changed at all. So I'm going to do a little derivation for you next time of where this comes from, or, or, or explain it just a little better. This is where I lost my note, or where we get out, lost without the notes. Um, but, but that's the basic idea in a nutshell, is that collinearity has this problem of inflating the p-values when we don't know for sure which model is the correct model anymore. So what our goal and challenge now is to find a way of choosing which models to remove and which models to keep, knowing that we can't always completely trust the p-values. So we have to come up with some strategies that will help us kind of compensate for that. And one strategy is, um, is to fix the p-value and essentially use a slightly different criteria other than looking at the p-value and rejecting if it's smaller than 5%. And another strategy is to go ahead and keep that but do what's called cross-validation where you check after you fit the model to see how accurate your model is for, for, uh, for, for in terms of prediction. So those are the, 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 the two tools we have. There's a third tool that we'll talk about briefly, and that's this idea of shrinkage that we mentioned before. It says we'll keep all of them in there, but try and, and, and shrink the estimates of any one to kind of compensate for the, the, um, for, for the uh, potential <laughs> collinearity between them. Okay, so any, any questions? Okay, so... Um, I will post these R codes and things online because that will help you with your homework. Uh, you just essentially have to steal some of those commands and put them in a different order. Uh, the homework asks, asks you to write some code, not so much a function, but you have to do a simulation a thousand times. So if you need help with that, talk to me or the TA. Uh, either one of us can give you some good advice on, on how to write that function. Um, any questions? Yeah, multivariate. So sigma is a matrix, right? Sigma has to be a matrix. So, so uh, the X can be a matrix. Uh, right, so that what it generates for you is a matrix of observations, so that they have that correlation structure. So the diagonal tells you how much variance each variable has, and the off-diagonal will tell you how they're correlated with each other. All right, I'll see you on Wednesday. Yeah.